Rusty Quill presents. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to SBRR, a retrospective on Spirit Box Radio. I'll be going through the show part by part, thinking about the themes and my intentions as a writer. These retrospectives will include heavy spoilers for the show, so please go back and listen before you tune into them. Already caught up? Awesome. I'm Aira Major, creator of Spirit Box Radio. Welcome back to the show. folks this one's going to be a little bit different to the other ones so far there's not going to be any of those little audio clips that i've been using to illustrate my points more of a free-flowing conversation where i'm going to be putting a magnifying glass on two characters from the show our host sam enfield and his melancholy boyfriend oliver Berlin. let's start out by saying that i love a complicated romance those of you who have enjoyed my other shows, but especially those of you who've listened to Not Quite Dead, will know that I love nothing more than making two characters fall in love and making that into the worst possible thing for either of them. It's easiest for me to talk about these two characters together first, rather than apart. They exist together, contingent upon one another. One thing I wanted to try with Spirit Box Radio was to write a romance which wasn't just a separate subplot, but an integral part of the main plot without the show becoming a romance. One of the reasons this was important to me is because this show is, fundamentally, about connections and communication. Romantic love sometimes feels like it's kind of annexed off in media to me, treated like it's some kind of other, wholly distinct category of thing, and so it needs to be placed on a pedestal. I don't like that concept for a bunch of reasons, and one of them is that romantic love can be very important to people's lives, but it's also not any more meaningful than other kinds of love. To love one's friends and siblings is not lesser. So rather than just writing a romantic pairing that is only ever given equal weight to other relationships in the show, I wanted to play on that concept pretty deliberately, where romance is often in media treated as something different and special in some kind of way, which is kind of where the whole idea for the Sam and Oliver relationship comes from. So in Oliver's backstory, we find out that he's sworn off love, having witnessed the death of his lover, but all that time he knows that one day he is going to fall in love again, and that when he does, it will signal the beginning of the end times. So Oliver has this trauma-induced dread about loving anyone ever again, which comes from knowing which comes from knowing the massively destructive personal power that lost love can trigger within us. And that's amplified and echoed by this prophecy that it will happen again and it will trigger the beginning of the literal apocalypse, which is just like a metaphor for how when things go wrong in your life um, and you learned a pattern about how things can be disastrous, that you anticipate that and worse every time you're confronted with the same kind of thing again. For Oliver, this does a couple of things. He obsessively guards his emotions. Like the dead flowers in a shop, he thinks them best clipped and dead, displayed but never allowed to grow. From Oliver's perspective, love is very much like a flower, beautiful but ephemeral. 
Sam, by contrast, is crafted out of stories about endings, and so many stories about endings are also about love. Love for humanity, love for family, love for friends. Stories about endings are usually actually about having to live beyond them. They're stories about grief. Oliver himself is a story of grief. His life is a part of what Sam is fundamentally at his core right from the very beginning. In other words, Sam and Oliver are designed specifically and deliberately to fall in love with one another and for that to be catastrophic. They meet. Sam is immediately obsessed with this man. This is the first fellow adult he's having extended interactions with who hasn't been a sibling or an employee of his mother. Sam is fascinated and non-judgmental. He finds Oliver clever and charming in his sourness and his sadness. He's unfazed when Oliver briefly dies and comes back to life right in front of him after touching the blood rose. Sam just takes that in his stride without any real note of it. Sam craves Oliver's company but doesn't push or pry for answers. He's happy in Oliver's company regardless of what he's doing or talking about, whether Oliver is happy or sad or any kind of emotion he's feeling. Sam is just always thrilled to be there, to connect and to share that experience. Sam is extremely present in the moment and Oliver, by contrast, is extremely anchored in the past and dreading the future. For Sam, the past is gone and functionally non-existent, and the future is functionally meaningless too, having no past to fall back on and therefore anticipate pain from. To Oliver, I imagine it must have been kind of frightening at first, that instant ease with which Sam slips into his life. How ready he becomes to receive Sam without even knowing it. Sam is bright and immediate and present. He's unavoidable. I imagine it felt exactly like he thought it would, a sudden grip of realisation of, oh, this is happening and there's nothing I can do to stop it. But simultaneously, it was probably nothing like he thought, because despite the horror and dread, he's also happy. For Sam, Oliver is the first person who truly sees him and accepts him. Em saw Sam and was scared and did everything she could do to stop Anna and Kitty from seeing him too. Sam is left frightened, unfulfilled, and without even a sense of self-knowledge to fall back on. For Sam, this is so dramatic as to have him literally have no memory of his own past whatsoever. He doesn't have any tools to protect himself from potential hurt, and hasn't even really learned to truly anticipate that. Especially in season one, what this results in is Sam coming at the situation with an incredible kind of naivety. It's not necessarily helpful, but it does allow him to look beyond what, for other people, might have been huge enough red flags to make them stay away from Oliver forever. Of course, this is all part of a very specific design that has been laid in place years before Sam was even born by the man in the flat cap. Controlling connection and communication is key for what the man in the flat cap does overall. Where Sam's prerogative is to ensure everyone can communicate as freely and effectively as they can, in whatever medium they can best do so, the man in the flat cap wants to avoid that wherever possible. Communication is essential for connection, and I don't think he had quite anticipated that Sam and Oliver's love for each other would be real, actual love. At some point, I'll talk about the man in the flat cap specifically a bit more, but for now, suffice it to say that even though it is his design of Sam and Oliver which gets them together and provides the perfect conditions for them to fall for one another, I don't think he really thought about the consequences of allowing any kind of love to proliferate in that way. Anna and Kitty are annexed and separated off from Sam by M out of fear. The love is there, but it's filtered through so many layers of pain. But the man in the flat cap needs Sam and Oliver to actually properly fall in love, and for it to be 
big and bombastic and real, otherwise it just won't have that kind of epic collapse of an ending that he requires for his plan to work. But still, I don't think he's thought about what he's doing here. He's setting them up to connect. Whatever trauma there is, whatever baggage each of them is bringing to the situation, it's far outweighed by the emotional gut punch of meeting someone who's been shaped into this ideal partner for you. That coming together is big and powerful and it sends shockwaves through Sam's life and through the Man in the Black Cap's plan. It's so much of a bigger deal, precisely because Sam has been so isolated from other kinds of love, that it has this massive effect, this huge ripple that works through everything. At some point I will talk about the Enfield siblings and how Sam's relationship with Oliver actually highlights to him how separate he's become from them. This love and connection with Oliver not only allows Sam to have a real genuine connection with someone for the first time, like, really in his life, it also shows him that he's been missing out on other kinds of connection. I don't think Sam ever looks at his relationship with Oliver in the way that the man in the flat cap anticipates that he would, which is just this whole singularly consuming thing. I think Sam takes his relationship with Oliver and learns from this that, like, real genuine love and connection is possible, and it's something that's been missing from his other relationships with his siblings, with his friends, and especially with Em. I just don't think he'd ever known that it was possible before that. And rather than teaching him that love should all come from a romantic partner, Sam instead hopes to find other sources of love in other places too. The mistake the man in the flat cap has made becomes obvious to him pretty early in the process. And it gets so bad so quickly that he has to get Scourge to intervene and poison the well a little by scaring Oliver off and leaving Sam high and dry for a few episodes. But even though that makes Sam sad and confused, it doesn't break his feelings for Oliver. And when they try to reunite several episodes later, it has this fresh vigour to it. Sam's coming into the relationship with a renewed understanding of the context. He still doesn't quite know what's going on with Oliver, neither of them do truly, but... Sam's context shift, provided by exactly that break in the relationship which was meant to weaken them, actually allows Sam to perceive Oliver more clearly, and has a sort of opposite effect. Of course, whether or not these elements come through in the text is something that only you, as a listener, can truly decide. There's a million ways to read these scenes, and to understand the relationship between these two characters. One thing I'm trying to be wary of in these retrospectives is that it's possible that because I'm the show's author, I might end up in a position where I'm dictating interpretations of the show, and I don't want to do that because I think divergent interpretations add so much richness to a story. I consider it a massive victory when two people can listen to the same episode of a show I've made and come away feeling two totally different kinds of ways about it. An important part of making a character, to me, is allowing space for you, the audience, to add layers of meaning to the way that they exist within the text. To me, the characters I've loved the most and the longest are the ones where the original story provides a solid and sturdy framework for me to pour my interpretation into. Like the main story is a glass, and my interpretation is water, which can be held by it. And I want to nurture that concept as much as possible. And I want to nurture that concept in my own work as much as possible. Really what I'm hoping to do in episodes like this, where I'm examining characters specifically, is to kind of reveal what my thought processes were and meditate a little on what these characters meant to me both during the creative process and now, sometime later, when I've set these characters aside to spend time working with others. Bearing all of that in mind then, let's think more about Oliver and Sam in relation to plants and ephemera. 
The most obvious starting point for this is Oliver's flower monologue from 127. This is one of my favourite bits of writing I did for the first season, and a lot of audience members seem to have really enjoyed it too. It lays out a lot about Oliver's worldview, as well as speaking to the show's broader themes of our relationships to death and loss. For Oliver, death fixes something to a specific point in time. It will no longer grow or change organically, and exists only in its relation to others. Oliver describes himself as being suspended at the moment of death, his existence being artificially extended or preserved, the way that we keep cut flowers fresh-looking for as long as possible by keeping them in water and feeding them plant food. As Oliver points out, though, this doesn't restore the plants to life, and their withering will come eventually. Death is a presence in Oliver's life on a day-to-day -day basis. He hints that he's used his ability to reanimate in order to force a sort of reset on his body, approaching his own repeated demises in an extremely cavalier, les enfers way. The cut flowers are also dead, as are the people that Oliver has been forced to kill by the man in the flat cap. However, at the back of the shop, Oliver has a room filled with living plants which require extremely precise care to maintain. This suggests that despite the death he surrounds himself with, at his core is something very alive and very nurturing. Later in the show, when he talks about his dreams of a future, he mentions growing plants there too. The date he misses with Sam is to the Botanical Gardens, another place filled with living plant life. Oliver's connection to the man in the flat cap is first indicated at through what appears to be a cut stem. The black bakaras that the man in the flat cap leaves behind after killing people are not, in fact, flowers at all, but visual metaphors for complex connections. They're a method of communication, albeit one full of obfuscation and deliberate misleading. In the language of flowers, a deep crimson near-black rose, like the ones that the man in the flat cap leaves, represent death, despair, loss, and agony. All of these are relevant to the price that people all of these are relevant to the price the people he has killed have been asked to pay in exchange for any gifts he bestows upon them. The flowers are referred to as blood roses, as in blood debt, where something is offered in exchange for a lost life as compensation. The blood rose crown, then, is representative of being an exploitative broker. The imagery around these concepts in the show are all things I wish, in hindsight, that I'd been able to communicate more clearly. At the time, I was a bit clumsy with how this information was imparted, and I was worried about people figuring out the show too early. Now that I have more confidence in my ability to use such imagery and metaphors well, I feel less concerned about stuff like that. The Black Bacara situation specifically is complicated. Basically, when I chose that as the representative flower for the man in the flat cap, I didn't realise it was a fairly modern species. Too late, I went on a big deep dive into rose breeding and discovered a lot of interesting stuff. Even though Rytidia says it looks like a weird version of that breed, I think it adds a messiness to the concepts that I'm working with, and it clouds the meaning too much. I wish I'd not included a breed name at all. Similarly, I wish I'd explored the direct meaning of Blood Rose more directly in the show. The connection to the concept of Blood Dare is too tenuous, and it would really benefit from some strengthening. I think those connections could be much better expressed and serve the story in a more effective way if I had done things slightly differently. Like Oliver, Sam is connected to plants as a character, both via his connection with the blood roses and also because it's mentioned several times that plants die when he touches them. Later in the show, Sam describes himself as feeling like death is seeping out of his pores. He can't contain what he is, and by trying to do so, it becomes destructive. 
This metaphor twins nicely with Oliver's obsession with dead plants and needing to nurture living ones. He can value Sam as he is right now, but he has the ability to help him thrive in the long term, like a rescued houseplant. Thanks for listening to this episode of SVRR. Are there aspects of Sam and Oliver's relationship you wish I'd spent more time discussing? Are there things about Oliver you'd especially like to talk about? Let me know. Next time, I'll be doing another little character exploration, focusing on Sam, Anna and Kitty and their relationships with each other and with Em. Until then, stay spooky, folks. Tune in. Get spooky. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And... Don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.